Pakistan's economy or Pakistan's economic crisis more precisely is a theme that we keep coming back to. The reason we are back to it today is because IMF team has been in Pakistan. It looks like the Pakistanis are now finally accepting the IMF's conditions or what is usually called conditionalities. So we've seen some outcome of this. You've seen the Pakistanis have put their rupee on free float. So rupee is now rupee is being determined by the market. So what this means is that basically what this means is that rupee finds its real level. So the gap between the bank rate and the street rate that goes down, right? That goes down, that narrows or maybe it fully disappears. May not have happened just now, but as we speak, Rupee, Pakistani rupee, now, rupee is now about 272 plus to the dollar. See this little graphic that we've taken from Google that shows you how the rupee has gone. It's, it's gone like this and now suddenly like this, right? So that is the one thing they've done. The second thing they've done is they've raised taxes on many in many areas which the IMF wanted. Also, they've increased the price of petrol and diesel, etc., etc. Now, this is something which has been a big contentious issue. Even in Indian politics, and I'm, I'm, I cannot resist the temptation to make that reference. Even in Indian politics, there's been criticism, say, of the Modi government that they've raised the prices of petrol and diesel, diesel too high. They are much more expensive than, say, prices in our neighboring countries like Pakistan and Sri Lanka. Now you see what's happened to the economies of Pakistan and Sri Lanka because you can, you can keep subsidizing the middle classes, upper middle classes, vehicle owning classes in your country, but somebody has to pay for it. And in, in the case of all of our countries in the region, our fuel is imported. Most of our fuel is imported and if you keep on subsidizing it, which means you are, you are artificially subsidizing higher consumption, which means higher imports and it has all the other effects. So now under IMF's pressure, Pakistan has had to increase fuel prices, although, mind you, in terms of value of, the, of their currency to the dollar, they are still cheaper, petrol, diesel, gas are still cheaper in Pakistan than in India. In the course of time, they will have to still reach realistic levels, but they've made progress in these areas. There are some other things also which have happened. The Pakistanis are looking at their fisc more carefully now because you know what happens? When you borrow, then the lender acquires power over you. And the Pakistanis are doing that and that's the big change right now. And that, that's the reason we thought we'll revisit the Pakistani economic crisis. Now, one more reason we can talk about this is that we found this wonderful, brilliant conversation, the brilliant discussion between two very important Pakistani, one economist slash politician. So Mifta Ismail, who has a PhD in public economics, public finance, but is also a former finance minister of Pakistan more than once, twice in fact. He is talking with Atif Mia. Atif Mia is the most preeminent Pakistani politician who is currently at university. So this is a discussion that has been moderated by scholar Madhya Afsal at Brookings Institution in Washington. I will share a link with you. Watch the full one-hour discussion. It's very calm. It's very calm. It's very. It's not at all like our TV discussions. It's very calm amongst well-meaning people. All of them happen to be Pakistani. All of them are concerned about their country and looking at serious, serious problems and serious solutions. So watch that discussion and I am drawing also from that discussion. So what is it that's happening in Pakistan? Pakistan is a case of an IMF addiction. Pakistan in the 
last 40 years, say 41, 42 years, beginning in 1980. Since 1980, Pakistan has had 12 IMF bailouts already. This is the 13th. So 13 IMF bailouts in 40 years. That means one IMF bailout every three years. If that isn't addiction, what is it? So this is a Pakistani IMF addiction. Now, if I read from an article by Nadeem Hussain in Pakistani newspaper Dawn, most respectable newspaper in Pakistan, he in fact reminds us that since 1958, since 1958, now I'm going backwards from even 1980, since 1958, Pakistan has gone to IMF 22 times, of which 13 would be in the last 40 years. This is complete total addiction, right? Again, the same average to IMF, back to IMF every three years. Then you take another one. This is evergreening. So 22 times since 1958. In comparison, India has gone to IMF in this period seven times. Seven times. The last time was 1991. That is when India took an IMF bailout and started the economic reform and economic reform was so well done and began so well that India did not even have to draw all the money sanctioned to it by the IMF. Since then, since the reform started in 1991, India has not had to go to IMF. That is 32 years, right? Pakistan, on the other hand, in these last 40 years has gone 13 times. This is the 13th. Since 1958, 22 times. India seven times, Bangladesh only ten times. Even Bangladesh has done much better. Now you might say Bangladesh only came into being in the end of 1971. That's fine. But the fact is that Pakistan has gone to IMF in the last 40 years, 13 times. Whereas Bangladesh in 52 years of its existence has done so ten times. By the way, they've gone to IMF once again now. They are not in a crisis. But what they are doing is, in fact, they are... Credit worthiness is good with the IMF also. So they've taken this money to protect themselves in case a crisis comes because their government exports, governments are their biggest export. There is a global recession and slowdown and that might affect their government exports. So to protect themselves as a, as a hedging strategy, they've taken an IMF loan. They are not in a crisis at this point of time and are unlikely to be in one in the near future. Then once again, if I see... Nadeem's article. Once again, if I see Nadeem's article, he reminds us that between 1993 and 2020, that is 27 years, Pakistan's economy grew more at more than 6% only for two years. Only for two years out of 27. In fact, if I, if I can take it forward to 2023, you can now say that in these 30 years, in 30 years, Pakistan's economy has grown upwards of 6% only twice. Which years were these? Thereby lies a tale. These years were 2004 and 2005 and this tale is political, political, strategic, diplomatic, whatever, whatever you call it, philosophical, whatever you might call it, ideological. So two years between 1993 and 2023, Pakistan's economy has grown or GDP has grown by more than 6%, 6% of or more only for two years. These are 2004 and 2005. What is significant about those years? These were the years when first the Vajpayee Musharraf spring had broken out in our relationship. There was ceasefire 
and there were serious talks going on and looked like Pakistan was accepting some strategic realities and some important geostrategic realities also including the fact that Pakistan had to find a modus vivendi with India and also a solution to India which wasn't going to be anywhere close to Pakistan's maximalist positions on Kashmir. There was a mood of compromise but there was a calm on the borders on the line of control and there was a calm in the bilateral relationship. And that spring neatly dovetailed into the Manmohan Singh era. So 2004 and 2005, 2004-5 and 2005-6 the two years. What does it mean? It means when you put your ideology aside, when you put your nationalist ideology aside, when you put your blood feud with India aside and when you put your Kashmir fantasy aside and focus on what is really important for you, your economy also responds. And that is the lesson, that's a very, very important lesson for us to see. So, in 30 years, only 2 years of 6% plus growth, whereas India in these 30 years has, has had 20 years, 20 years of 6% plus growth. Alright, we had a bad year uh, uh, in, the, in, in the lockdown, 2020-21, even before that, our economy had slowed down a little bit post-demonetization. So there were two years when we did not cross 6%. But if you look at the full picture in 30 years, India has crossed 20% 20 times, right? That's quite a remarkable difference between the two countries. And now we are crossing 6%. The argument is about 6.8%, 6.7%, 6.6% or 7% and there is some regret that we have quote unquote slowed down to sort of the sixes. We would have preferred to be in the sevens and the eights. So that is where this big difference that has built up between India and Pakistan and in many ways Pakistan is itself to blame for it. I will come to that. Now who's to blame? That's the question. Is it politics? Is it economics? I read a lot of Pakistani media, well-meaning people including Nadeem. They say that it's Pakistan's economic policies. They haven't focused, focused on agriculture, which was their big strength. They haven't focused on many, many other areas. It's true, economic policies have made a contribution. But the bigger problem arises from politics. Because Pakistan it is, which say from the early 1980s, when they saw that the Americans had come in, the Saudis had come in, the Chinese had come in, and they were, Pakistanis were needed to fight this jihad, the good jihad in Afghanistan, and all the money began coming in, they thought that they had geostrategic leverage. And they could use that geostrategic leverage now to arm twist India on Kashmir and other issues. It is then that their politics or their strategic fantasies took over their minds and they defocused from the economy and they pushed their politics and their nation and their polity in a direction where it became increasingly difficult for good enterprise to survive and even for talented people to live. So too much of their talent left, too much of their capital left. In the end, this is the consequence, what crisis they are facing is a consequence. This is a sliver of opinion in Katta Clutter. This is the price the Pakistanis have paid, not so much for their bad economic policies, but this is for their bad political and strategic policies. Opinion out, see what else is happening. Look at Pakistan's total debt, right? That is the big thing, you know, in life, nothing kills you like debt. So if you have debt that you can't repay, then you are in deep trouble because anybody who's given you money will come to claim it. And anybody who gives you money has a collateral. So if you can't, if you borrowed money against your buffalo, uh, 
the guy who's given you the money will give, may have given you half the value of your buffalo the guy will come and take your buffalo right so these guys come in particularly if you borrow from the chinese how the chinese do it ask the sri lankans and tell them what happened in hambantota so if you look at pakistan's debt now so this is another chart that we have taken we have taken the data from nadim's article in dawn this is pakistan government data pakistan government economic statistics if you look at this first of all look at the look at the chart look at the graphic of pakistan's total debt it's been rising like this and you might say okay your debt can rise but as long as your gdp is also rising because ultimately the figure that matters is debt as a percentage of gdp the gdp we don't have exact data so we haven't drawn a graphic but you know we we just told you that pakistan's gdp only grew at more than 6% twice in the past 30 years so debt has grown way ahead of the gdp has and debt has now gone out of control again if you dissect that debt see this other chart this is only updated up to 2021 the chinese debt has been rising again in a hockey stick manner so more and more money is being borrowed from the chinese so this chart will show you 14 billion dollars or 14 and a half billion dollars or thereabouts but since then more money has come in more emergency money has come in the chinese have put in about 5 billion dollars in pakistani banks to shore up the currency etc etc another 5 billions has come in more money has come into cpc so overall china's debt to pakistan or pakistan's debt from china is about 30 billion dollars which is roughly about 30% of all of all, all of pakistan's debt so if you have that kind of debt from china with zero chance of paying back and that debt is going to rise particularly if cpc goes on in fact by the time cpc is over and gwadar port are done etc etc this debt will be upwards of 80 billion dollars there is no way in hell pakistan is going to be able to repay this not definitely not unless they are willing to bring about radical changes in their politics and their view of the world particularly their opinion vis-a-vis india they have to get out of this this mindset of a permanent war with india or the fantasy of taking kashmir from india because that equation has now changed much too decisively we had spoken about it just a couple of weeks back with reference to a vice marshal shahzad choudhry's article now what exactly is happening in pakistan and what exactly what are the takeaways from this discussion so mifta ismail in this discussion who comes from a rich very well to do very wealthy industrial family in pakistan is very well educated uh, has phd has a phd from a fine university in the us also has been finance finance minister twice he says that look look at our social indicators our population is rising at a pace higher than most countries we've done nothing to control our population in the past 20 years no effort has been made and he says if other islamic countries can do it tunisia has done it iran has done it almost every islamic country has done it why can't we do it we have to do it because every year we produce so many more babies so many babies are stunted so many are wasted in fact many are in india as well but india's birth rates are really under control now and declining rapidly in fact declining at a level when india will soon be only producing india will be down to replacement levels many parts of india are already down to replacement levels pakistan has done no such thing so mifta ismail also points out that pakistan's infant mortality rate is now the highest in the world after lesotho in africa and these are the bad situations in pakistan he says we our talent is not available we can't produce information technology goods 
we can't export that whereas india exports so much so something needs to be done with otherwise with highest highest population rates no family planning half the children not going to school even those who are going to school are getting bad outcomes in their schooling the given the quality of schooling we are going to be in trouble then of course he says that pakistan has had pakistan has had to pay for the pernicious influence of the afghan war afghanistan is next door to pakistan but the fact is and this is my little opinion on the side as i said i keep splicing it in but i qualify it and i warn you nobody told pakistan to get involved in the afghan war they got involved in afghan war in 1979 because they saw it as an opportunity and once again once again even after 911 they saw when the americans came again into afghanistan this time directly to fight in afghanistan this is what led to the second jihad the taliban jihad at that point the pakistanis again saw it as an opportunity so today you can complain about afghan war being a pernicious influence but the fact is that all these four decades you saw this as an opportunity and you are paying a price for it he also mentions that look we've had a situation when people point out that more foreign airlines now fly into dhaka than to karachi lahore and islamabad put together so we've got really left behind and he says look we are in a deep crisis we have 2 to 3 years to do the right things right now imf is on track to avert a default because a default would have been a disaster so a default will not happen so the imran khan business that we look the imf in the eye kya samajhte hain hum unke koi conditions nahi manenge this government has shown some humility so imf money will come so uh, a default will be averted but we have to now list what we are doing wrong he says because so every year 20 to 25 billion has to be paid out in debt servicing we can't borrow from one and pay the other it's not as if we shift borrowing from one credit card to another because no more credit cards are available and this will not work by reducing imports we have to increase exports and finally he also says nothing stops us from population planning but you know, you know what you can start population planning it will have an impact it will it will bring you benefits but not today it will happen in the long run now if you listen to atif mia atif mia in fact begins on a note of exasperation he says he says in hindi kya bataun ab right in fact i have written this also in hindi on my notepad he says kya bataun main kya bataun ab he said i have been i have been asked many times to do to do a plan to do a plan document i can do one any time i am happy to do it i am i am happy to write a plan but the point is are you interested and then he says the kind of situation pakistan has put it themselves in and he uses a punjabi expression which we are familiar with it's a folk tale that that is told in every language in the subcontinent he says dande bhi khade gande bhi khade dande is a stick right lathi khai and gande is punjabi for onion so this is the same old onion thief the village idiot story a village idiot who, who was caught stealing onions and the sarpanch told him you can choose your punishment either eat 100 raw onions or have a 100 lashes so first of all he said i eat onions khane ka kya farak padta hai so he ate about 10 and he said i can't handle it i'll have the lashes then he got 10 lashes he said it's too painful i'll eat the onions so in the end he ended up having both so professor atif mia states this in punjabi dande bhi khade gande bhi khade and then he says very interestingly and it's a very important statement he says something very significant he says pakistan's nervous system is broken which means 
there is nobody governing it with some thought in the mind. There is no coherence to its governance. And he said, look at CPEC. They asked me to study CPEC. And I said, where is the data? CPEC is the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor, where all this Chinese money is coming in. And he said, there was no plan. There was no plan. They were, they were just marketing brochures. There were no precise numbers. Nothing said return on investment, etc. And, and he said, you can see that these projects are not feasible. And see what's happening to Pakistan now. It's, it's foreign exchange reserves today are $3.7 billion, which is about three weeks of imports. Too little for any country, right? Yet, between now and June, that is in say about six months or five months from now, Pakistan has to repay $9 billion of foreign debt. So any money that comes in will also be used to pay, to, to pay that debt. And then Atif Mia gives his diagnosis of what's wrong with Pakistan. He said, we are a country that's put family over competence. And he says, he says, India has also had a dynastic rule. Nehru dynasty ruled India. But 1991, when they had a crisis, see, they brought Dr. Manmohan Singh. Uh, and he fixed things. And also, RBI governor, central bank governor, they appointed a competent guy in Raghuram Rajan. Now he knows Raghuram Rajan well because they are also peers in the international community of economists or economics teachers. The fact is that India still, in spite of the fact that dynasties rule India, India shifted to competence. He said Bangladeshis, while a dynasty rules Bangladesh, almost nobody from the family has any power in the government. So they get competent people from wherever they get them. And he said the only country in the neighborhood in this region who compares with Pakistan in their incompetence, the only country with the same level of incompetence is Sri Lanka. And you can see what situation, what a state their economy is in. And then both of them say that Pakistan has an economic crisis. But remember, an economy doesn't live in a vacuum. I'm giving you a direct quote. An economy doesn't live in a vacuum because an economy is a product of your society, your social milieu and your polity. And that is what has gone wrong. Now, if I read Nadim, you can go right back. 1947, at the time of partition, Pakistan got 17% of India's revenue, which was sort of fair because it was about one-sixth of India. 17% of India's revenue but it got 33% of India's army. So if you just apply a simple principle of proportion, it got one-sixth of India's money, one-sixth of India's income, and one-third of India's army. And that army has had an overhang on Pakistan's economy and Pakistan's polity since then. And the reason that army has continued to have that overhang brings us back to the argument that Pakistan's economic crisis is caused not so much by, by its economic policies. Of course, those have contributed, but it's primarily caused by Pakistani establishments, politics, strategic policies, its ideological view of the world, and also its view of India and many strategic fantasies. The latest strategic fantasy to be unraveled being this fanciful idea that Afghanistan, controller of, over Afghanistan, would provide Pakistan strategic depth see what kind of quote-unquote strategic depth it has now provided because in Afghanistan, Pakistani establishment's prayers got answered because they were celebrating America's defeat, the rise of the Taliban. They were calling it a liberation and see the consequences of this. So once again, you can mess with many things, but you can't mess with nature. You can't mess with human psychology and definitely 
you cannot you cannot mess with real economics